If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Tiffany. Tiffany is from Queensland and went through quite the journey to get her two gorgeous boys, Wyatt and Reeve. Welcome to the podcast today, Tiffany. I would love to start by just understanding what led you to make the decision to become a solo mum by choice. Um, I always knew I wanted to have kids, like a lot of your the people that have been on your podcast. Um, I had had long-term relationships in the past that, you know, I thought were heading toward that direction. Yeah. But then um, I was living overseas. I was in, living in Canada and I thought, oh, when I turn 30, I'm going to move back to Australia and, you know, really kind of look for that person, I guess. Yeah. And um, it just didn't happen. So I always knew I wanted to have kids and I always knew that that was my, my path. So um, when I got back... I did kind of dabble in dating a little bit, um, but then, the, you know, that didn't work out. So as soon as I turned 35, I was like, okay, time to look at this by myself. I always knew that I would need IVF regardless because when I was, um, when I was 21, I found out that I had um, bad endometriosis. Yeah. Um, so knowing that I had to do IVF anyway, I always had that idea of doing it sort of by myself if I needed to. Um, and then, so yeah, that's in, in the diagnosis of endo that you ended up having, they were saying at 21 you'd have to do IVF? Was yeah, well, I, I had extensive or? endo and um, it was all throughout my fallopian tubes. So mm. they were completely blocked at that time. I don't know whether it, because it was so long ago, I'm 38, <laughs> um, the the doctors at the time just did an in, investigatory surgery and didn't actually, like, do anything with the endo. So from oh. then, yeah, from 21 until I turned, like, it was 35 and my specialist said we need to do an, another laparoscopy, um, it just kind of kept growing and it was attached to a lot of my organs and um so does that mean was, you were like in extensive pain every time you got your period from the age of 21 yeah, but I just thought that that was normal because they didn't really tell me anything 
about it where they just said, look, you've got endometriosis, you've got blocked tubes, you're going to need IVF to have kids. That's just what you've got. And I guess endo's sort of become more well-known lately. Like I didn't really know what it was back then and being a lot younger, I was a a bit blasé about it. Um, But now obviously being older and then having to go through IVF and, and have my laparoscopies and things I I know a lot more about it now and I would have insisted that they had removed it back then but I don't even know if they did do that back then so yeah because thinking when I had mine removed it would have probably been earlier than when you were diagnosed because I think mine was probably about 21 and I'm a few years older than you yeah well this was through the public system so I don't know if that was why Mm. but my fertility specialist as soon as I said that to him was was shocked and couldn't understand why they just well closed me back up and were like yep you've got endo like you're gonna have to do IVF in your future sort of thing like happy days off you go yeah. there was some pain oh yeah, dear exactly. so I always knew that and um the relationships that I had in the past had uh, you know hadn't really used any sort of protection and had never gotten pregnant so I knew yes that I would need you know, I always kind of thought, oh, well, if it happens, it's meant to be, but yeah. it never did. So I knew that I would need IVF, which was um, probably a good thing because I knew that I could just go straight to IVF and not bother with IUIs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, those just would have been a waste of time for me. But before I did start IVF, I had another laparoscopy where my specialist removed everything. So, um, and I did have a fallopian tube taken out. So I only have one fallopian tube at the moment, but um, every time I have a lap, which is sort of um, yearly, every couple of years, um, it's um, blocked again. So I would never be able to have children naturally, regardless. It just keeps growing back. So, yeah. From the conception side of it, has been having the treatment made a difference to life in general though like oh absolutely yeah so my periods used to be a full seven days sometimes even nine um very heavy lots of pain like in bed for the first couple of days with hot water bottles a lot of naprogesic a lot of advil um yeah and um now it's like three three days three to five days not much pain can be managed like yeah completely completely life-changing so I'm very angry at your original specialists yeah, <laughs> as a result of that too. all that time that you've had to go through that unnecessarily that's so frustrating it's so frustrating and if I had looked into it more I probably would have realized that I needed you know more work done but um I just kind of took it at face value at what they told me and um yeah so that that was just my journey I guess so yeah and I guess if you look back now with some of those long-term relationships had you got pregnant what do you think now do you think you've actually done the right route or <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. Maybe mean, it's yeah things would have been a lot different but um no definitely definitely pleased with the the choices that I made so and um and how things turned out for me so yeah so you made the decision at 35 you were going to go it alone. Did you have mm-hmm. some good family support and support from your friends when you told them that that's what you were going to do? Yeah, 100%. My mum, so it's just me and my mum, and um, she was so supportive, like unbelievably supportive. She came to every appointment, mm-hmm. um, was there the whole step of the way and has been. Um, 
you know, through pregnancy and everything. So I'm very, very fortunate in that regard. Um, my friends were, were supportive. A lot of them had never heard of it before. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, when I told them that that was what I was going to do, they, you know, thought it was great. And then the more people you talk to, the more people like, Oh yeah, you know, I've got a cousin's friend who's done that or my sister's, you know, blah, blah, blah has done that. And, um, it's a lot more common than you think it is as soon as you start sort of telling people. And whenever I tell people, I always get, oh, you're amazing, like, well done. And, yeah, so it's nice. <laughs> and so what did you do to find the fertility clinic that you ended up going through? Um, I did a quick Google and I knew, I knew that I didn't want to waste time going to a bulk billing clinic. Um mm -hmm because I knew I had endo and other things going on. Um, so I went straight to who is considered the top specialist in my area. I'm on the Gold Coast. So um, that was Dr. Keong at Monash. Mm -hmm. He is amazing. I couldn't recommend him highly enough to anyone that's doing IVF on the Gold Coast. He will not give up on you. He is extremely resilient and, um, yeah, amazing, amazing specialist. So, I knew straight from the beginning that I wanted to go to him. Um, so I didn't even shop around or anything. I just made my appointment and made my first appointment with him. I knew that it was the right fit. So I was very fortunate in that. Um, yeah, so he did a laparoscopy for me straight away and cleared away all my endo, which was great. Um, yeah, and then I went straight into a stim cycle. But obviously I needed to do the, the counselling and everything before that. Did you have to wait long between the laparoscopy and starting stims? Uh, no, I pretty much had the lap and then a month. I gave myself a month and then I um, did the stims. So I wanted my incisions to be healed a little bit in case I did get pregnant from that. Um, I was extremely optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I didn't really know much about IVF. I kind of went into it with a lot of blinders, I guess. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I'll do IVF and I'll get pregnant and it'll be great. Like I, I didn't um, I didn't understand the full scope of what was involved, I think, when yeah. I made the decision. So, yeah. <laughs> My so journey. That maybe the first one didn't go as planned then? <laughs> no. So I was always good at producing eggs I had a, a, a good amount of eggs um but the quality just wasn't there for me yeah. um so I started in August 2018 I it was my first stim cycle and I got 15 eggs and I didn't um at that first cycle I didn't keep a record of anything I think I ended up with four um embryos at the end yeah and um did a fresh transfer and then did some frozens and none of them worked. Um, so then I did take a little bit of a, a break and I did a, a another stim cycle in December of that year and I got 23 eggs. And then this is when I sort of knew the process now, knew what was involved. And so I was more, uh, I want to say, <laughs> more in control of things. Um so, yeah, so that one I got 23 eggs and 18 of those were mature but only six fertilised. So I had a good amount of eggs but the quality just wasn't there for me. Um, and am I right that that's off one fallopian tube as well? So that's just one ovary 
creating 20... No, I still have two ovaries, but just one fallopian tube. And you don't need a fallopian tube for IVF, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, that round I ended up getting OHSS, so I was in hospital for a couple of days, and then that was right before Christmas. So um, I was pretty depressed at that time <laughs> because I had so many eggs and then for only six to fertilise. Um and then to end up with OHSS, I was, yeah, I was pretty down about it. Um, and then I remember I got the call when I was in hospital, the day five progress call, and they said, like, none were suitable. So I was a bit devastated. And they said, look, we're going to let them go to day six and see, you know, if any catch up or anything. And then I, I did end up with three embryos from that, luckily. But okay. I had that whole you know, that downward spiral, that negativity that comes over you to then and to be in hospital with OHSS at the time. And Christmas, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I just said to mum, I said, look, I don't know if I can do this again. Like, you know, I've done two stims and nothing's happened. And anyway, then the next day they called and said, you've got three embryos. So I kind of came back up from that low, um, which was good. <laughs> Uh, so in January, I decided to do the frozen transfer. Um, and when I arrived at the clinic, they told me that two of my embryos hadn't thawed. So again, like another crushing blow. <laughs> um, so I just had the one embryo and they, um, they transferred that and that one didn't work out. So going back a bit, I guess, picking my donor, um, I decided to pick a young donor. Yeah. Um, I don't know why, but I was like, young donor, young sperm, like fresh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, and I just kept going with him for, I think I did two rounds, three rounds with him, yeah. Um, so anyway, after that I had a review and, um, you know, we realised I obviously had poor egg quality. Um, I got so many eggs but just weren't making blasts at the end. So my specialist decided to change things up a little bit and he put me on um, androgen cream, which is testosterone cream, um, melatonin, um, and decided to do a calcium activation for my next stim cycle, um, which apparently, like, helps the eggs grow and do what mm -hmm. they need to do. Um, so he was always kind of thinking and adding things in and yeah, he's amazing. I can't, can't recommend him enough. So like you say, <laughs> doesn't give up and just keeps, yeah, and yeah. keeps trying to find a way. Yeah. But I was very, it didn't really give myself a break either. I was just kind of like, I'm doing this. I'm going to get pregnant. So I was like, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> so yeah, so, a very um, common characteristic with a lot of solo mums. <laughs> yes. Not sure what that's about. Yeah. Hmm. No. So yeah, I had that that um frozen transfer in January didn't work out so I went straight back into a stim cycle in February of 2019 I got 20 eggs in that cycle um 18 of them were mature but only 10 fertilized but still That's better than better yeah. than before yeah um so that one there I ended up I think three embryos like I didn't end up having a great amount of embryos at the end whenever I did a stim cycle um but you know I was very always very happy and fortunate that I did have embryos at the end because I I know a lot of people don't so um that one I did a double 
a double transfer was my first double and um, they were both A grade and I was so sure I was going to end up with these beautiful twin babies. Everything so never have to do it again. <laughs> yeah. And I only had one uh, one to freeze. So I had the three of them. So I transferred those two A grades. And, um, yeah, I was pretty, pretty certain that that was going to work for me. But, no, that one didn't work out. And then the frozen one uh, wasn't a great quality. So... Um, I decided I didn't really want to do another stim cycle if I could avoid it. Um, so I decided to transfer the, the not great frozen one, um, to give it a chance. And, um, Dr. Ong put me on the immune protocol for that. So I had the intralipids and the steroids and the blood, like the blood thinner, the clexane and the aspirin and all that. Um, but negative for that. So... <laughs> then I decided so that was April I did that and then May I was like all right let's do this so um I ended up changing donors um I went in and I was just like you know maybe the donor and I aren't compatible um you know it happens with couples they're not compatible is that what's happening here like something's got to be going on you know I've done so many transfers and just I wasn't even getting a faint positive like I wasn't getting anything so yeah Key said look let's yeah let's change donors so I went back through the list and um found this great donor and I called as quickly as I could because donors they get snapped up (laughs) you've got to be so fast and I actually prefer him to my original donor and he is my age um was he so on the older. List originally picked for? no he wasn't um yeah he he wrote a lovely letter you know explaining why he decided to donate and his sister had had fertility issues and he's married and him and his wife had the discussion and he decided to donate and I just feel like because he's older and he knows kind of the consequences behind donating, I guess, you know. Um, yeah, lovely, lovely letter that he wrote and he had a good family history and um, so I was like, yes, I, this is the, this is the guy for me. <laughs> and, um, you know, in Queensland we only get the baby picture and he was pretty cute baby so I thought, you know, that'll be good. Um, so then I went back and did another stim cycle in May and that was my best stim cycle. So I had 28 eggs, 23 were mature and 14 fertilized. So did you, oh wait, she's my best. No, I didn't. I don't know how I avoided it, but no, I think Key put me on a different trigger, um, for that one. So trying to avoid it because he knew I'd had it before and I'm pretty sure I was on different fhs for that as well so completely different protocol um but yeah so that was yeah by far my best round and i was getting older too like i ticked over another year by then but um yeah definitely the best round by far i ended up with seven um embryos from that round so the best round that i've done and i decided um with key to get those tested so genetically tested <clears throat> because he felt like perhaps the, the embryos we were transferring because they didn't even implant um, weren't 
you know, genetically right. So I tested those ones and I ended up with four normal embryos. So, yeah, I was pretty, pretty happy about that. I did do a fresh transfer, but that didn't work out from that round. Um, so then I went back in July. So I took a month off just to kind of let myself I don't know, I was really confident from that round. I had these normal embryos and we were doing the immune protocol. So I went back in July and transferred like this beautiful hatching A-grade blastocyst. And, um, yeah, I got my positive finally. (laughs) So, (laughs) yay. Yeah, it was um, a very surreal moment and I'll never forget seeing those two lines come up but um yeah so it was great so finally finally happened for me (laughs) best news though yeah I really didn't think it would I I was pretty positive going into the last cycle though and and that was going to be my last cycle I I was gonna say did you put a line in the sand and say yeah yeah Yeah. I was I was um I was done at that point and I thought you know what if these four embryos if they you know they've come back genetically normal if they don't work then something's going on and there's a reason why I'm not supposed to go down this journey and um yeah so that was my yeah line in the sand yeah yeah wow so, yeah I got really lucky so <laughs> mm, and that has yeah. resulted in because Yes, I have a so I have a two, nearly three year old um, boy, Wyatt, and um, yeah, so he's amazing. He's he's everything I could have wanted and more. He's perfect. So yeah, very very lucky. Was he nice to you and give you a pretty simple pregnancy after all? Oh no, he was not nice. (laughs) (laughs) I had. couple of bleeding scares and um reduced movements towards the end but I also had a um had HG for my entire pregnancy so very very sick um vomited daily (laughs) it does not seem fair after everything you went through to get him does it yeah I know I was hoping I'd have a nice smooth sailing um pregnancy but no and I had the most horrendous heartburn just yeah, like felt like someone had stabbed me in the, oh, it was just horrible. But, um, yeah, I went to the to baby bunting to buy my pram and the lady, <laughs> she was like, oh, you should get a double pram because, you know, when you have, and I was like, I am never having another baby. <laughs> <laughs> no way. I was like, never again. Uh, yeah. So segue to that is I do have another baby. (laughs) (laughs) That worked out well too then. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So um, I don't know. I thought when I was pregnant and in the trenches, I like to call my pregnancy, there was no possible way I was ever doing that to myself again. But um, once Wyatt was about a year and a half and and because it is just my mum and I, I don't have any siblings um my extended family or live in New Zealand I thought you know if I'm gone like when I'm gone Wyatt you know he'll have his friends and and things but he won't have any family yeah and for me 
um, I'm an only child, so I don't have any siblings. I just thought, you know, I should probably do that for him. <laughs> so I was like, you know what, I'm going to I'm gonna do this again. So I went back and I had three embryos left. So I thought, you know, I'll do those three embryos if they don't work. I was never going to do another stem cycle. There was no way in hell. So I thought, you know, I've got these three embryos. Let's give it a whirl. And because it took me so many cycles and so long to get wide, I really didn't expect it to work. First frozen transfer, yeah. <laughs> it worked. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, amazing. So now I have my um, eight-month-old Reeve. So, yeah, two little boys. And, um, yeah, they're amazing. But he also gave me a bad pregnancy, HG. and he improve things? No. No, no, he did not. <laughs> but, um, yeah, definitely done now. Two two is more than enough. I only have two hands, so two babies. And I was going to say there's still two embryos. <laughs> yes, I do have two embryos. I do think about them all the time. Um, that is a question that, that does come up of people, like what do you do with them when you've made them? Yeah. I recently went back to my clinic and had a had an appointment to discuss with Key because I um, I would actually like to get them transferred at a time when I can't get pregnant, so either right before or right after my period because I don't just – I worked so hard to get these embryos and I don't just want to go and pick them pick, – the straws up and have them thaw and I don't know to me it's just yeah it hurts my heart a little bit (laughs) so I'd rather have them transferred and then just kind of be absorbed like they would naturally I don't know so um I'm in the process of working that out at the moment and and going through that so once I've stopped breastfeeding um I'm gonna do that so yeah that will be the end of my journey but yeah so I'm very very lucky um very fortunate very fortunate and so how did you find the early days when you're at home with Wyatt so first time being a mum after everything I I already suffer from anxiety um so I found it pretty (laughs) anxiety provoking um (laughs) mostly because I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I've always loved kids and been around kids and all my friends had kids and, but having that little baby at home, um, completely reliant on you, (laughs) it was really scary. Um, fortunate for, fortunately for me, my mum and I have an extremely close relationship and she, she has stayed with me, um, from the day that White was born. So I've had her support um, probably more than a partner would give support. Probably. And, yeah, she, you know, I'm very fortunate. She lives just around the corner from me, but she spends every evening and every night, um, you know, at my my house with with me and the boys. And um, I literally could not do it without her. And... You definitely need support when you do it by yourself. Um, probably not as much as what I require. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I'm very fortunate and very, very lucky that I have her. Yeah. I probably wouldn't have had, I would not have had um, 
Reem if I didn't have her support. So, yeah, for me, that's just my my journey. So, yeah. What do you think has been the biggest difference with having two to having one for you? Splitting my time. Um, Wyatt got so used to just being, you know, him and then having to share my time between both of them. Um, it was wired about two and a half when you had Reeve? Yeah, just under, just yeah. under two and a half. But he's great. He loves being a brother. So I'm really lucky. Loves it, loves him. He calls him my son because <laughs> I call him my son. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's beautiful. And it's funny. I think they have, like, a really close relationship and I don't know if it's like, oh, I remember you from the freezer sort of thing. <laughs> Well, they're from the same cycle, so they're almost like yes. twins, but two and a half years apart, aren't they? Yes, yeah, it. yeah. And Reeve just loves watching him, you know, whatever he's doing. He's always looking for him and he's always a lot happier when Wyatt's around. And, yeah, no, they have a beautiful relationship. But um, it is, it's challenging um, going from one to two. A lot less sleep. <laughs> you know, I just kind of got to that sweet spot with Wyatt, um, you know, sleeping through and being a good sleeper and then I went and had another baby. So, um, yeah, I've just gone back to work. Um, but my mum, so just three days, just part-time, but my mum has been looking after Reeve those days and he's going to be starting kindy actually on Monday coming. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it's all starting to kind of, and he's eight months. So, you know, those first initial months I did, I was like, what have you done? Like, why did you do this? Everything was great with just one. And he was a little bit independent and you could leave him, you know, watching TV or playing with his toys. And now you've gone and had this baby. Like, <laughs> why did you do this? Um, but yeah, no, I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change it there. They're great and yeah, Reeves great. So yeah, very lucky. I um I always thought I'd have a girl and um when I was younger I always wanted a boy and then it changed as I got older because my mum and I have, you know, this such great relationship and I thought, oh, you know, I really want that for myself. Yeah. But I wouldn't change being a boy mum. Like I love it. So yeah. And then when I found out Reeve was a boy. There was a a little tinge of of disappointment. I'm not going to lie. You do get that gender disappointment. But um, having two boys and, you know, them growing up together and being brothers is, I think, is exactly how it was meant to be. And, yeah, I wouldn't change a thing. So, yeah. Beautiful outcome after a very long journey. Yes. I mean, the, the time that it took was short, because I made it that way (laughs) but it feels like it took such a long time to get to get the outcome um but yeah I just yeah I'm very I want to say controlling and um determined yes determined is a good a better word (laughs) when it comes when I put my mind to something and I want something um you know I'm gonna get it sort of thing so yeah is there anything you think you'd do differently now when you look back now that you've seen kind of maybe what the mental health impacts were on what you went through yes um I would I would have 
I would have chosen a different donor from the start and I wish that I had spoken more to my specialist about it. I immediately just went for, I was like, young sperm is going to work better. Like I don't know why I had that in my mind. Um, and But other than that, not really because I, I did everything how I th- think it was meant to be. So there's not much I would change. I mean, in amongst all those stim cycles, I had two laparoscopies and then I had one before I did my frozen transfer for Reeve. Um, So three in total to remove my endo and it has grown back every time. So that'll be an ongoing issue for me. I will need to get more laps in the future until I go through menopause, which probably isn't too far away being 38. Um, At least you now know, though, by having the laparoscopies, it can make an, an improvement on your period. Yeah, you? yes, yes. So that would be quite life-changing because I don't imagine three days in bed with a hot water bottle with two boys would work very well. No, I don't think it would work at all. So, <laughs> yeah, no, other than that, um, I think everything worked out how it was supposed to. So, yeah, yeah. The one thing that IVF has taught me is resilience Mm. a lot of resilience and um and being my own advocate too so you know I did a lot of research coming into my third and fourth stim cycles um you know I asked to change to certain drugs along the way and spoke to other people that were doing IVF and how they got their outcome um and just yeah being your own advocate I will say Dr. Ong is amazing, um, but sometimes you have more interaction with the nurses and if you don't yeah. get a good nurse or the nurses aren't, um, you know, so they're quite overworked sometimes, um, you do need to be your own advocate a lot of the time. So definitely that's something that I wish I had done from the beginning because I probably um, wasted a little bit of time trying things that I didn't need to, I guess. And I think a lot of people aren't aware going into it either that you'll see your specialist, but majority of the time you're seeing nurses and talking with them. Yes. Specialists, so yeah, exactly. You, I don't think most people realize that when they, they're going into treatment it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I see you like two times. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So if you get a, if you don't get assigned a good nurse or the nursing team isn't great, um, it can really affect your journey and, and how things go. So definitely um you know being on top I found I needed to be on top of my protocol and I needed to know what was happening but I think that's like a lot in the medical community these days you know you need to be on top of your own body and what needs to be done for you um I think I knew more than the nurses did by the time my IVF journey came to an end (laughs) that doesn't surprise me at all having met you you know yeah (laughs) so I'm not sure what it's like in Queensland I know what it's like in Victoria but is there a way that you can contact the donor or make contact with them before um why it is 18 if you want to and have you thought anything about that I believe if there's like a medical emergency I am allowed to contact him but other than that no it's 18 for me Mm -hmm. I picked an overseas donor so an American donor um the list was a lot longer there was only like two or three Queensland donors on the list and you didn't get a picture or anything and the the history wasn't that great 
So I, I immediately ruled them out and went with a, an overseas donor. At the time, I didn't really think much about it. I was like, I just need sperm to get pregnant. Yeah. But now that I have my boys and, you know, thinking about how it's going to affect them when they're older, I may have looked more into a um, local donor or a Queensland donor just for ease of if the boys want to meet him when they're older, it will be a lot easier if they're local. Um, but I'm happy and prepared to fly, fly them and myself to America if need be, if they want to meet him at some point when they're 18. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the donor wants to do that, but, um, yeah, no, I didn't, I, I should have really thought more about that process. I think I didn't really do that. I was just like, I need sperm. <laughs> so, yeah. And I'm not sure if you've thought about it, but what does that mean in terms of any siblings that they might have through the same donor? Uh, yes. Yeah, so I'm in a, I actually have found some of the, the donor oh, sibling. Yeah. So there's um, a couple in Queensland and um, one in New South Wales and a couple are two single moms by choice. And then there's um, a same sex couple. And then um, I went on to a, a, my sperms from the Seattle sperm bank. Yeah. So I went into the Facebook for the Seattle Sperm Bank and ended up finding, <laughs> I think I found 10 families in overseas, so in America, Germany, the UK and Canada. So um, right. we're all in a Facebook group and um, we don't really talk that often but, you know, occasionally we'll post pictures or something will come up and, you know, we'll share little tidbits but I think as the kids get older and more aware and ask it's nice for me to know that I can be like yeah you know here are your here are your donor brothers and sisters so yeah so is the rule that Monash has bought the sperm so they own the allocations for Australia or is it different allocations per state do you know I'm pretty sure it's just per state but I am not 100% sure on that I, I, I don't know. Um, I have asked Monash to put me on the list if other people contact them and want to be contacted um, that have kids from the same donor um, but haven't had anyone contact me. And um, the people that I found in Australia, we had intended to have a meetup at one point but then COVID and, you know, all of that sort of fun stuff happens. Everything, yeah. Yeah, it didn't end up happening. And surprisingly for me, um, my boys, all of the children are girls. <laughs> oh, given yeah, that the sperm determines the sex. That's interesting. Yes, yes. Far from uh, I think there's two little boys in America, um, then there's, there's like 10 or 11 girls. So, um, wow. yeah. So, and all the ones in, in Queensland and in Australia are girls. So yes, everyone was really um, excited when they found out Reeve was another boy just because the donors produced so many girls. So yeah. Um, yeah, I have the, the good ones. Yeah, so you haven't so, met any of them in real life yet, but you have already built no. some connections. So yes, yeah, yeah. So initially, I was just chatting to um, the the few that I had found, um, 
in Australia. And then, and was yeah. Was that through we, that Seattle Spoonbank Facebook page as well or a different Yes, one? yes, yep. And then the Seattle Spoonbank themselves have like a register that you can join. Um, you have to pay. But um, so we all chipped in. I think there was four of us in Australia. So we all chipped in and, you know, paid for one person to join. And then that's how we found the others in America and the other countries. And then did you set up like a separate Facebook group for just your donors? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now we have a Facebook group page. And um, it was actually really great because they they got adult pictures of the donor, whereas oh. I didn't and none of, none of the, the ladies in Australia had either. Um, so we got to see an adult picture and they also got a sound file where he spoke about, you know, why he decided to donate and we hadn't gotten any of that. So um, that was nice. We got what some added things. Outcome. Yeah. yeah, so it was really great. And, um, you know, one day we might all get together and meet and the children share some uncanny similarities. So, yeah, yeah it's really cool. It's cool. And I guess... For everyone, it's different, but being like a single single mum by choice, I've always been really keen to make those connections. Um, so, yeah, when Wyatt and, and Reeve are old enough to understand what's happened in the process, I can very easily say to them, and, you know, these are, you know, people that are of your family. And, yeah, so we'll go down that road as they get older, but. There, well, I mean, Wyatt is aware that he doesn't have a dad, but he has, you know, a mom and a grandma, and um, and that he has a donor. And although he doesn't understand what that means, he just he knows he doesn't have a dad. So yeah, the good yeah. start to the conversation anyway. But yes, almost three. Uh, he'll be three in March. Yeah. So we're what are we? January. So yeah, a couple months shy of three. So yeah fantastic if there was anyone listening to your story that is maybe going through trouble trying to get pregnant and trying to give up what would you say to them you've got to be resilient (laughs) (laughs) I don't know it's IVF is a lot of pick yourself back up um you know yeah get knocked down but you got to pick yourself back up and I think it's important to have that line in the sand that we talked about earlier because you could just keep going and going and going you know financially it's tough um but there are options now like you you can access your super for IVF you there's different things you can do now the bulk billing clinics and and things like that so if you have pretty straightforward infertility issues um you know if you're socially infertile um, bulk billing clinics yeah <laughs> bulk billing clinics are, are great um they were never going to work for me just because I, I knew I had the endo and um yeah just don't give up you know um you have to be made of some strong stuff to go through IVF I will say that much because it is tough mentally and physically you don't realize how physical IVF is um but yeah, it's um, yeah, it's, it's tough, but so worth it. So 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 worth it. Like, don't don't give up. Yeah, yeah. I think it is so tough, but it makes it so once you are a parent, it's pretty hard to phase you, isn't it? 
because you're yes. so much yeah. to get them and just like, oh, yeah, whatever. Yes. <laughs> it's so rewarding. I mean, I had a C-section for Wyatt and I'll never forget, like, they lifted him up and I just, I don't know, it must have just been all of that pent up. I just broke down, like, crying. I was just, yeah, all that I put into the IVF and then the pregnancy and then he was finally here, like, after everything and, yeah, it's it's so so worth it so yeah everyone's like are you okay because I was just like inconsolable <laughs> crying it's real <laughs> I can't, finally it happened like he's here and he's perfect and yeah just it's so 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 worth it yeah definitely if you're even considering it and I will say you know, I, I thought about it from 30 and I waited till 35 because, you know, you always think oh, I might meet, I might meet the one. Yep. Um, at the very least, freeze your eggs, freeze your eggs. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. If you're even thinking about it, just go and freeze your eggs. The younger, the better, because the older you get, the worse your eggs are and you can't change that. It's the one thing you can't change. So um, it's better to have them than not have them so I tell everyone <laughs> people I'm working with all the single girls I work with I'm like go and freeze your eggs random strangers um, at the supermarket <laughs> yes yeah um you know and it's not such a, a taboo topic anymore either right. and um you know IVF is so like every I think every one in six or something people do IVF now these days so crazy um yeah it's crazy so yeah, don't give up. Start young. <laughs> you can do it. That's what I would say to them. Yeah, that's a pretty awesome ending, and it sounds like Wyatt or Reeve was someone in the background. What's his mama? So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your story. I'm so glad you got your happy ending after all you had to go through, and I'm also Thank glad you. that you've now had the proper diagnosis and treatment. So you hopefully won't yes. have to suffer ongoing for your endo yeah. as well, which is Absolutely. such a shame it wasn't fixed earlier. But I know, crazy, crazy. But thank you, thank you so much. I'm Alicia and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast, bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes and leave a like, a review or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.